Hey folks, it's Sam again. Really pleased to have you back for another week of the cast. This week's going to take us to Smile Tiger Cafe, where Mike and I are going to talk about coffee a little bit, and then we're going to be diving into uh, what is scripture, what does it mean for scripture to be God-breathed, um, just some of those complex questions around that. Should be an interesting episode. Hope you enjoy and get a lot out of it. And if you have any questions for us, please feel free to reach out on our page, c3kw.ca slash cast. Fill out that form and we'll be happy to uh, answer your questions on the podcast. Please remember that the views and opinions expressed on this show are those of myself and Pastor Mike and whoever our guests are on any given week. They may not necessarily represent the views of C3KW. With that all being said, enjoy! Well, the first part of this podcast is going to be recorded at Smile Tiger, uh, where Mike and I are location. sitting right now. Yep, on location. And um, we're just using one mic because I couldn't fit all the equipment in my backpack. But uh, I don't know. I think it'll still be good. Mike, uh, what's your favorite kind of coffee? I'm eating my scone right now, Sam. What do you mean by that? Like, what's your favorite way to drink coffee? Like, is it latte or cappuccino or black or how do you take it? So you don't want me to, like, talk about the different coffee shops and, like, name oh, drop. go there. Oh, I don't want to because that's controversial. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, my go-to is always an Americano, basically. Although, I would say, I've said this on Sunday morning, that, like, if I just feel like a good coffee, mocha with oat milk from Show & Tell excellent nice nice appreciate that yeah the show and tell does pretty cool special drinks i gotta say but um for me you know no matter where i go i pretty much always order a cortado um if i'm drinking coffee out otherwise like if i'm just drinking it at home or drinking it at work like i'll take it black i don't really ever put any cream in it although i went to the vet recently and um they had a lower quality coffee there. So in those situations, I will opt to put cream in my coffee, <laughs> make it a little bit more palatable. I've been doing cortados actually lately. I had, uh, actually I've had like three in the last week. I like the, the, the milkiness, the creaminess, but I get those with oat milk as well. I find oat milk is the best alternative milk, in my humble opinion. It's creamy, it froths nice, smooth. Almond milk is too limp. Coconut milk just adds too much flavor. Soy milk is soy. Don't need more of that in my life. So yeah, oat milk, that's the way to go. How about you? Cause you, wait, well, you, 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 you take straight milk, right? Yeah, I do drink dairy um, generally, but I, I like oat milk too. I think oat milk is probably the best um, alternative. Like if I'm not gonna have dairy, I will go for, for oat milk. And um, honestly, like, there's probably a difference, but to me, it just complements the coffee just as well as I'd expect dairy to. Now, to get back to the question of that you didn't want to answer of, um, 
best coffee shops in the area. I feel like, I feel like, yeah, I don't want to, you know, say one is necessarily better than all the others, but if I'm going purely on coffee quality, I've got kind of an elite tier of coffee shops here. I'd put show and tell in that category. I would put monogram in that category. And I would probably put Smile Tiger and DVLB in that category as well. Those would be kind of the elite. Dangerous considering we're recording this in there. I think for my favorite places to drink coffee, um, if I want a if I want a coffee experience, Show and Tell and Smile Tiger are like the best out of all like the. The, the, the desired higher-end coffee places you think they are. Um, and if I just want, like, the popular drink, um, I definitely like Starbucks. I kind of got hooked on that. Um, Tim's is gross. Sorry, Tim's. I can't do it anymore. Now that I've had an enlightened coffee experience, I'll drink it in a, in a bind, but, like, I don't enjoy it. Um, I tried the new Monogram one downtown Kitchener. It was fine. It was good. But like I'm not like craving to go back. I don't know. That's my kind of take. I, I I do. I do love the coffee scene that's developing. Yeah, it's quite good. Um, I think the other way you can answer this question too is also just like which coffee shops do you like to be in the most? And then if so, if I were to give you the elite as far as ambiance, atmosphere, the best ones to sit in. The best one by far is DVLB. I think that's just the the nicest coffee shop to sit in and drink coffee and talk to people in. But if I had to go like the next, kind of the next tier, I would say Princess Cafe. I do like being in there. It's kind of crowded, but it's got nice charm. You can get a pie there. Um, I'd put Smile Tiger up there probably. And I would put, um, I guess I would put Settlement Waterloo in that category. It's got pretty good ambiance. And uh, even Cafe 1842 with the Hooter, I just kind of like the darker places, honestly. I like dark, yeah. Yeah, I completely disagree with you. Um, I think it also depends on like why you're in the space. So I actually think Smile Tiger is the best one to be in for like meeting people and hanging out. I like the, uh, the brightness, the windows, the, the ambiance, sure. But it's more just like the openness of it. That's why I don't really like DVLB. It's a little too like crowded. And like the space, not the people, it's like the crowding of it. Um, and then um, for like just casual hangout conversation, I do actually like show and tell because it is so kind of like um, just free flowing. Like there's not like tables necessarily. It's kind of like everyone's there having a conversation. It's kind of like, so it's only for small meetings, big meetings. I don't go show and tell. Uh, if I want good air conditioning and like lots of room, I go Starbucks downtown Kitchener, to be honest, because it's convenient for me and it's nice. I do like the... Um, the feel of the downtown Kitchener settlement um, with the booths, I like those booths and the little upstairs thing to get the way one. So I'm I'm more of a Kitchener guy versus a Waterloo guy in that sense. I also like want to shout out uh, Queen Street Commons and um, Seven Shores as well. I, I think they both deserve a mention. Um, I don't go there to either of those places nearly enough, but they're they're unique enough, and the the quaff the coffee is pretty quality, especially at uh, Seven Shores. So. Um, kind of forgot about those, but also noteworthy cafes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Queen Street Common, I've only been there one time, but it's it is funky. I, I do actually, I've thought about doing more meetings there because it just sits like 
all that's connected to you in, in the city, and then it like it really is a cool spot. Yeah, I should get, I should go there more. Yeah, I I do like Queen Street Commons a lot. I kind of like the, you know they're associated with the Working Center, obviously, which is which is cool, cool organization. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these places are not open super late. So my Wednesday Connect group that I run, we have to go to Coffee Culture, which is pretty run of the mill chain coffee shop. It's fine. They've got good seating, but I really if these other places were open that late, like 10 10 p.m. Um, and had you know better seating some of them for groups i would totally go there instead but alas mike based on your knowledge of church history um i probably could look this up right now but since you're in the room i'll just ask you when was like the bible as we know it today canonized what year was that Uh, that's a very complex question, Sam. All right, well, let's dig into because it a little even bit. into like the Reformation, there are arguments about the Bible, and I believe it's Luther who wanted James out of the Bible. So, the modern Bible that we know, right, like generally is pretty early. Yeah. Um, it, with some random disagreements, and I believe it was, I don't know if it's the 1500s with the it was or Council of Orange in the 1500s where they deck with like the I think I think it was because the Reformation got rid of all like the apocrypha and stuff too. Um, the Jewish Bible was pretty set. And then pretty early on, it was um, set as we know. And the reason why we know that is because writers and thinkers were using the Gospels and Paul's letters already um, pretty early. Like that just from the early church fathers, we could recreate almost the whole Bible from just their quotes. Yes. So we know it was pretty early. Um, I believe it was Tertullian. Was it Tertullian who made the first list? Let's Google that. Tertullian. Um, I would say type in like Tertullian Bible list or something. Canon. <laughs> Guys, this is on air. Yes, we are. Because um. I know there were a couple lists that were made in the early church. Uh, most, mostly with agreement. Some orders were different because the order has been a thing too. Um, so. We got a whole bunch here. We got the Marcionite Canon. We got the Muratorian fragment. We got the I don't I don't want to say that because I might be saying a curse word. Uh, the Codex Vaticanus. So like the earliest one of that that's listed here is the Marcionite Canon. Actually, you're right. I just remembered Tertullian's thing wasn't the canon. It was um, it was a statement of faith. Okay. But anyways. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, there's not a lot here. Most of this is just like the Pauline epistles. Yeah. Because the thing is, like, I would say by 400, what we have now was about, but that's after a couple. Oh, that's true. You got the Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex Alexandrinus. Well, and that's also after a couple of the councils have been set. and, And again, even if you actually go through the history too, like, there is some of these letters. Um, I believe it was Clement. And so Clement and Hermes or something like that, Shepherd of Hermes that um, were like considered good Christian literature and some considered them canon, some didn't. And just through the process of like, we don't even understand the idea of like councils today, ecumenical councils and like the authority of councils. We kind of reject all that stuff. Uh, but um, anyways, uh, so the way that we understand it to be today 
yeah, I, I, it's about 400 after a bunch of councils and stuff. And by the way, just in case anyone's wondering, right, the amount of fragments and copies and manuscripts we have make us quite confident that we do have 99.5% accurate translations of the Bible today. And the 0.5% that's off is punctuation and some spelling errors but nothing yeah, nothing salvific nothing, nothing of huge yeah. importance so it's so we've had a canon as we see it generally speaking for about 1600 years yep yep that's quite a with while with some some variations mind. around especially the apocrypha yeah yeah so here's a i'm honest a, a baptist church website i won't say which one although they tend to always be about the same when you go to their statement of beliefs um, we believe the Bible, both the Old and New Testaments, is the sole and absolute authority in all matters of faith and life. That is, it is divinely inspired without error in every word and completed as originally delivered. And this one doesn't go quite as far, but I've seen some say this, um, that it, with the 66 books that comprise the Bible are... Like they'll, they'll actually specify the exact number, which I think is hilarious in light of everything that you just said about there being like some disagreements up until quite late in the Reformation. Um, so the verses that they always, um, without without exception, cite here is primarily Second uh, Timothy three sixteen, which says, "All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness." so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now that's fine. I'm glad that there like there's a basis for that, although some would argue that it's actually circular logic to do that. Not not what I'm going to argue today, um because I'm I do believe that the Bible is like reliable and that we come under it to teach us. But what I'm the the questions that this raises for me is which books was this verse referring to? And two, did Paul and everyone that was writing the New Testament know that they were writing Scripture? Well, uh, Peter says that Paul does in one of his letters. Yeah. So we know that's actually true. So that part is true. Um, and again, as a good Catholic boy, you should love this, right? <laughs> that there is an element of tradition that the Holy Spirit works in. Yep. What have we always believed kind of thing? And where has he led at the church to? Mm-hmm. And general speaking, the consensus is there are 66 books in the canon of Scripture. Right, generally now, speaking, yeah. If well, I would say that like that is how we understand the Bible today. Now, because yeah, even because even the in the because even in the Catholic Bible, they'll say like here's the here's the apocrypha and it's like a separate section. Yeah. Um, mainly because of the debates around it, I believe I don't exactly know all the Catholic theology, but so, um, but yes, so because the reformers, you know, if got their way, there would be a few, maybe one book out. And so the ones who say like, you know, the 66 numbers inspired, here's the thing, the Bible that we have today is the Bible that God wanted us to have, period. Yeah. Right? That's, I, I do believe that a sovereign God would not leave us with like a book full of errors and no, like, things and so this that is the thing is the truth of the Bible that, that we have today is the Bible that God wants us to have because we do know that there are other letters Paul wrote. Yeah. Reference in scripture that are not canonized. Yeah. Mainly because of we've lost them. Right? Yeah. And were they valuable? I'm sure they would have been. Mm-hmm. Right? Would they have met the criteria of canon? Well, Paul wrote them, so probably. But the Holy Spirit want them in the Bible. 
they're not here right yeah so there is this layer of of holy spirit sovereign guiding right of the creation of the bible um and so the 66 books that we have right mm-hmm. i would argue given time and history are god breathed mm-hmm. right now i know what you're trying to dig into what does that mean um and we, what we have to remember is um divine inspiration is not divine dictation yep that's the essential part of christian understanding of inspiration right is that we do not believe that god sat down with paul and said hey paul i got a letter for you to write write this in fact we actually know paul didn't even write his own letters most likely he would have um spoke Dic- them dictated them right yeah. dictated them and some other guy we actually have it where some paul will say you know i write this in my own hand or whatever right where, where where paul wrote some of it right and there's actually arguments that for certain sects of paul wrote, wrote himself is why certain like tone shift and letters and things like that yeah even in one letter i can't remember which one it is he actually says like paul and timothy and the rest who are with us write to you right and so the way that god used people right was um what, what traditionally is called verbal plenary inspiration right right that god inspired the person right um in every word mm-hmm. to use their voice yeah in their context to communicate a message to the direct audience and to the church at large Right? I know that's a lot of words, but basically, right, this wasn't an angelic revelation of a dictated message from God. Yeah. Although there are that there there are those in scripture, right? When like people are reporting things the angels actually said to them, which we believe could happen and did happen, obviously. Yeah. Right? Um that there are like quotes and stuff. Uh but the general the the general thrust of scripture is that God used Moses. God used, you know, David, God used Paul and Matthew and Peter and and even the unknown writers of some of the older books, yeah, to create content and curate this canon um, that he wanted the church to have, mm. right? So we do believe the Bible is a holy book inspired. That the words that are in there, are the words that God wants us to read, um, you know, and you would get there is there is some difference on the idea of like, you know, what does it mean to be accurate and inerrant and things like that which actually if you study kind of like church history differ according to continent like british uh, believers not all of them but like especially higher anglicans don't really have the same kind of american fascination with inerrancy right um guys like nt wright um will talk about you know how it's kind of like this um enlightenment modern kind of like evangelical reaction to like the scientific community that developed this whole thing that like proved that we have the good book yeah right and, and i'm not saying he's right i'm not saying that he's wrong i'm just like like there is different places for that well there's the whole it's just a paper pope like that's what you elevate it to argument that, that if you were to say that to a catholic that like because you don't have the pope as your authority oh now i have to elevate the bible well no i would say that's such a bad argument because like the whole point of reformation was right solo scriptura it is the final authority right um that the pope is submitted to the bible and not on par with it right which again practically speaking was about kind of developing traditions or or extra biblical affirmations and things Mm -hmm. um in this case specifically around like purgatory and indulgences and there's there's specific things that were being wrestled with in that yeah space. I, I believe like the catholic argument behind a lot of the, the and this is where i hope we're setting the table for a discussion with andrew but i 
I think it's the idea that God is actively working in his one true church and that they have they have a leader and that the Holy Spirit is going to is going to guide that process and that's why tradition and and you know the papal declarations and uh proclamations are you know treated with such weight including and they would say that canonization was probably part of that through the councils and all that that would sort of be i think the catholic yeah so the thing is like i don't like the issue with the protestant height heightenment of individuality is that no one's under any authority except the bible which even the bible says that authority is important yeah. Right? Honor your leaders on a double portion to the elders who rule well. Right. Like yeah. there is this thing that God uses leadership um, to help form the church. And then you have to argue, like, is the Catholic church the one true church? Right. Because the Orthodox would say that, no. Like, I had an Orthodox guy tell me I'm going to hell because <laughs> I'm not part of his church. Right. Like, yeah. I had that happen. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, even the Catholics can't really make that argument. Yeah. Right. And why they split, what are the schisms about? Words doctrines you know literally it was creedal words that ultimately split the church but there's also political things going on so like what is the one true church right yeah. what is that doctrine is the one true church those who put their faith in christ alone let's just go with that right yeah um plus how many times has the pope fought about stuff and there have been well, three popes I mean, at one time th- yeah like that's so the, like there's that's a- the big thing for me is like all i have to do is read church history and, and empirically i would say that that isn't true but like the church has not i mean i've heard also the arguments that well god was working in the church in spite of that like it's well he was no no. of course he was like of course he was but it's just like the the pope was not always good yes and paul even says right test every prophecy right yeah and essentially a papal bull is a prophetic word yes from the lord right yeah i'm allowed to test that the bible says to test it right yeah and just because you know you know, we would have to, then you have to argue, well, who's allowed to test and who's discerning and the other yeah. three other witnesses, three other prophets we can figure out. And sure. But the point being is that no human oration yeah. is equal to or on par with scripture. Right. Right. It's always to be tested. Yes. Right. Other than the God breathed inspiration. Mm-hmm. Right. And you would say, well, th- that prophetic word is God breathed. We would say not in the same way. Yeah. Right. That once the canon, and again, this is where, you know, is that arbitrary? I, I don't believe so. I believe there, like there is, a, there was a desired book that we have that's closed, and, then, and so there will be no further apostolic revelation. There's not going to be a new gospel that gets preached. We have all that we need for life and faith in Christ. We have yeah. that. Do we have all the answers for the inquisitive mind? No. No, right? we don't. Did the Bible talk about aliens? No, not directly. Not really. I'm sure there's principles yeah. of life, and if there is life, right, like we do know that. They didn't talk about dinosaurs either. That's such a bummer. well. Leviathan technically would be considered a kind of dinosaur That's if you fair. take it to be like that. Yeah. But anyways, um, <laughs> or the exact age of the Earth. Uh, you're right. Right. There's there's, there's a lot of pre um, scientific history that we have to deal with. We'll say in that way. So so this is thing is I think we have to approach the Bible the way it demands we approach it. Right, I think that's the big thing we have to understand. Yes, is it it is it demands it demands the revelation respect, which this is one of the things that I think get lost a lot in the modern kind of like secular world is the value of revelation, right? Um, and not I don't mean actually like revelation as in the last book. I mean revelation from God. 
right? Because there's, there's often this thing like revelation versus reason, but we're revelation and reason people, right? We believe God has revealed certain truths. Yeah, I don't right? believe God would go out of his way to like deceive us and trick us. Well, no, but the, but but a lot of the times the question is about value of revelation. Like, do we need it if we have reason? That's just kind of a classic kind of yeah. philosophical argument. And we would say, yes, like it is revealed to us that the Ten Commandments were the foundation for morality. And people argue, well, we didn't need that. Well, you're arguing that after thousands of years of that being the foundation for society. So um, revelation, I think, is so important still, and we need it. And God's given what we believe to be inspired word from his heart to us about all that we needed for the message of Jesus to go forth, create salvation, bring redemption. Ultimately, we have the Bible God wants to have. And, and so if that means that every single sentence or every single like word in it was exactly what God wants to have, then yes, I believe that. Now, does that mean there isn't like what we call progressive revelation? Well, yes, we believe in that. Right, the idea of heaven and hell gets so much more brought out with Jesus than in the Old Testament, yeah. or where Paul says, "Hey, like I think I baptized more than two of you, but I don't really remember." Yeah, is that some error contradiction? No, it's just like God using Paul writing a personal letter to a church to instruct them about this stuff. Right, yeah. like so I, that's where like the the some of those things of like, well, look, Paul talked back on himself. The Bible must not be true. Like literally, that's one of the arguments of like a contradiction. Right. No, God was using a human author and we can see the humanity in this divine book. Yeah. And and so like if 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 by inerrant we mean inspired by God, the one he wanted us to have for all the truth and life in Jesus, sign me up. Cool. Cool. I can get on board with that. Um, last question on this topic is that last little bit in Revelation about um, if anyone adds anything to these words, uh, just about the book of revelation. So that's the debate. Is that about the revelation as a, as a revelation or the church as a whole, probably in context, it's actually about the book itself. Like it says, this translation is where everyone who hears the words of prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person. The plague is described in this scroll. Yeah. Like it's about that mainly i like emphasis revelation is such a is like if anyone says they know what revelation is about like definitively (laughs) yeah just walk away yeah like like i have my theories or like i'm i grew up what's called like pre-trib pre-millennial went to a school which is all millennial reformed people right um was part of a denomination that was prehistoric no Historic pre, pre, prehistoric <laughs> was historic premillennial, uh, you know. So like, there's so many theories about what it means. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, it at least has one meaning for the immediate context of the of the Jesus followers being persecuted. Yes. Um, a second one is the cyclical cyclical history of persecution within the church, definitely. Um, but then, is it a future book? Yeah, I believe so. Like we talks about the end of time in a way that has not yet happened. So. Yeah. Um, white throne of judgment is going to happen. You all stand before him. Yeah. Right. And so we have to figure that one out. Um, so, you know, like as long, here's the thing. In the day, if some guy comes to you and says, Hey, I've been given a new revelation of Jesus Christ. 
we should add this book in no no unless he's jesus christ himself 